Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. So we have corporate earnings expected to grow 10% in 2024, and we have a deeply inverted yield curve. One of the two is wrong. In a nutshell, this conundrum sums up the uncertainty we see in this market. We've had three years of unusual and puzzling moments, and frankly, this summer is just one more, said Claudia Sam, founder of Sam Consulting and a former Federal Reserve economist. The Wall Street Journal says executives are split on whether or not we will have a soft landing. Oak Tree puts it this way. The U.S. economy refuses to follow a single storyline. Deutsche Bank says identifying the exact moment when the market will recognize the impact of higher rates is, quote, tricky, unquote. See, you've got plenty of company. I'll point out that we published a piece today entitled Risks to Spread Widening. Have a look. You can find it on our website, kbra.com. This week, our three things are, one, higher for longer, back to normal. Do you remember normal? Two, Apollo on secular change in credit markets. It makes a lot of sense. Three, NAIC's e-committee memo. A step in the right direction, but you need to stay on top of this story. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Higher for longer. So, all of a sudden, the 10 years are the highest level since the GFC. We see three reasons for this. One, markets have reined in their expectations for rate cuts as the economy, today, is proving to be more durable than previously expected. Two, Treasury issuance is heavier than expected due to massive spending programs, the need to reduce reliance on short-dated T-bills, and the need to refill coffers depleted during the debt ceiling debate. Three, reduced foreign demand in part due to Japan relaxing its yield curve control. The 10-year at 4.3% for those keeping score is well above the 2.3% average since the GFC. So it's coming as a bit of a shock to those that have gotten used to financing in a lower rate market context. But this, that, is not normal. In the 30 years prior to the GFC, the average yield on the 10-year was 6.1%. Quantitative easing, widely deployed globally post the GFC and fully supported by then-Fed Chair Bernanke, did help to drive rates to ultra-low levels, but it also was instrumental in driving up inflation and creating asset bubbles. Ultimately, we learned that ongoing QE is unsustainable, that there is a day of reckoning. Rate hikes, running down the Fed's balance sheet, these are part of that correction. As we go through that, we get outsized treasury market volatility. Now, we've written about the implications of higher for longer a couple of months ago. When you're picking up my new piece on our website, grab that one as well. In a nutshell, we wrote that normalizing cost of capital means the bar for companies to achieve an acceptable rate of return will be higher. Making matters even more challenging is that cash flows will be tested not only by higher rates, but also by slower growth, technological disruption, higher costs related to energy transition, and higher geopolitical risk. It means that credit worthiness will face a tougher test in a more normal cost of capital regime. This is a big change. All right, on to our second thing. Apollo's Oracle Speaks. One of the most insightful voices into the evolution of the capital markets is Apollo's CEO, Mark Rowan. 
he sits atop the largest private credit business, the result of his firm believing that post the GFC, long-term investors with conservative mandates would have strong demand for yieldy investment-grade paper. Thirteen years into this, he's convinced that we are in the beginning of a secular shift in how credit is provided to businesses and consumers. We think his perspective into how private credit fits into the U.S. financial system is valuable context for market participants. On Apollo's Q2 earnings call, he makes a number of interesting observations. The first is that the financial literacy around private credit has, in his words, gotten quite sloppy. Yes, he notes, private credit includes levered lending. But he points out that levered lending is but a sliver of private credit. The total market is much larger, and it covers the risk spectrum. Private credit includes virtually all bank lending, and it includes most of the asset-backed market. He points out that the vast majority of participants in credit markets borrow short and invest long. Think open-ended mutual funds, which has daily liquidity, or hedge funds with quarterly liquidity, or, of course, banks with daily liquidity, at least on deposits. That duration mismatch, of course, is suboptimal. We know what can go wrong in times of stress. The mismatch amplifies the effects of turns in the business cycle in credit markets. Mr. Rowan points out that private credit brings massive pools of investors with long-term liabilities, such as retirement systems and insurance companies, into the mix, buying assets that used to go under the balance sheets of banks. Investors with long-term locked-in liabilities are a much more appropriate buyer than banks or mutual funds or hedge funds buying these assets. The result is a more stable financial system. One consideration to this shift is how will the entrenched market participant, the banks, react to being, in effect, disintermediated? Does this create a race to the bottom where competing lenders compromise risk and reward? Not so, says Mr. Rowan. He points out that the banks, constrained to some degree by regulation on risk and competition for funding, are more interested in the client and fees paid for various cross-sold services than the asset. Apollo, on the other hand, is more interested in the asset. So rather than two capital providers engaged in a competitive struggle that ends up in a bad place, private credit providers and banks have a symbiotic relationship. Is this an oversimplified view of the world? Of course, but it serves to make the point that the growth in private credit represents positive evolution to the world's best capital market. All right, on to our third thing push back to the NAIC's SVO proposal to selectively override credit rating agencies' ratings. Recall a couple of months ago that the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, that's the NAIC, Securities Valuation Office, that's the SVO, set forth a proposal that would allow the SVO discretion to overturn credit rating agencies' ratings on all filing-exempt securities, where the SVO's determination is three or more notches different than that of the rating agencies. We warned at the time that, if approved, such a proposal would bring about unintended consequences that could ultimately limit demand for credit by U.S. insurance companies, not just for a particular security or issuer, but potentially for an entire asset class. We questioned whether insurance company investors are served better by concentrating power in the hands of one party as opposed to the collective wisdom and resources of the insurance industry's investment departments and multiple credit rating agencies. We thought that a limited viewpoint would ultimately stifle innovation in the capital markets. Now, the SVO's proposal has been met with intense pushback 
from not only the insurance industry and other market participants, but also Congress. This past week, the NAIC gathered to consider the SVO's proposal, the outcome of which we'll get to in a moment. Additionally, the NAIC's Financial Condition E-Committee, which sits atop the SVO, exposed for comment a, quote, framework for regulation of insurer investments, a holistic review, unquote. This framework, aka the E-Committee memo, proposes the following. Implementation of a strong due diligence framework to review rating agencies using an external consultant. Retaining the ability of the SVO to review individual credits under well-documented and governed parameters. This should be a backstop, ideally, and used rarely. Enhance the SVO's portfolio risk analyst capabilities and increase their staffing with investment, actuarial, and risk management expertise. Enhance structured asset modeling capabilities using model governance and in support of rating agency due diligence. Establish an investment working group under the E-Committee and rename the SVO and the Valuation of Securities Task Force to better reflect their responsibilities and reduce the size of the Valuation of Securities Task Force membership to encourage active regulator engagement. Now, to be clear, existing work streams, including the SVO's ability to overturn certain rating agency ratings, will continue to move forward despite the E-Committee's proposed framework, with a directive to factor in the many constructive industry comments. This story remains live. Comments on the E-Committee's framework are due October 2nd. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, higher for longer. This is what normal feels like. For the vast majority of borrowers, this is manageable. Two, Apollo on secular change in credit markets. Expect private credit to continue to grow, and that's good, ultimately, for credit markets. And three, the NAIC's E-Committee memo. A step in the right direction, but you need to stay on top of this story. As always, thanks for joining. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our ratings reports and our latest research, including two recent pieces by yours truly. See you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's Chief Strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.